Boy, it surely is nice to have Adrian and Kenny with us today. You know, I enjoy talking to you during these podcasts, but um, sometimes we need to just get another perspective on all of this. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian. And thank you for joining us on our holiday podcast. We're recording this on the 31st of December. Uh, we've had a wonderful Christmas, and we have our daughter, Adrian, our announcer, and her boyfriend, Kenny, with us. I will confess to you that we had a much more complete group and a wonderful conversation with them um, before Christmas. On Christmas Eve. Okay, on Christmas Eve. And um, we had a technical problem, and as a result, we don't have that conversation to share with you. But Adrian and Kenny have graciously agreed to stand in for the group and share with us some of the questions that the group had for us and um, some of the thoughts that the group shared with us. Would you like to mention who the other group members are who are now um, missing from the Go ahead. From, the, from action. Okay, we have um, our son Joe and his wife Michelle who are now skiing on the slopes of Breckenridge, Colorado. And we miss them, but we want to give a shout out to them and hope they're having a wonderful time and being safe, but also um, getting their ski, ski legs back. And then my mother, Grandma, as she's known uh, to all of us, who also had some uh, fabulous contributions to the conversation. I'm sorry she couldn't join us today as well. So shout out to her too. Hi, Grandma. So why don't you get us started, either Adrian or Kenny? I don't know who goes first. Well, I remember the first question the other day was, was um, renovations to the house on Misty Lane. Uh, is it hard to leave them behind? Because Dad put a great deal of time and effort into changing the, painting the new rooms and, and putting an island and granite countertops in the kitchen and, um, and nice new hardwood floors in the downstairs. Yeah, I, th there are some parts of that that we are going to hate to leave. Um, it was about five years ago. Right. It was uh, the fall of 2004 while I was in London for the semester. So I had uh, what we called the mother of all honeydew lists. And I did a lot of renovations to the house while you were gone. And we, we repainted every surface in the house inside and out, um, put in granite countertops, uh, new pine floors in the back of the house, uh, a lot of new cabinets. Um, so it was a fundamental change in the living space and we were real proud of it i'll have to confess i didn't do any of that with my hands so i'm not sure i'm that go ahead love i was gonna say i remember pictures daily updates with you and poor misty and poor kalija and you guys slept in the you know everything occurred very differently in your life oh, so yeah. i think you I think you worked really hard for that. So I oh, I did. Give yourself I did. did, and I appreciated it. It was it was such a lovely surprise to come home from London, not only to see my family, but to see that beautiful new version of the house I left. It was. It was nice. And, and my favorite uh, sacrifice was the. It was probably 
four or five days there when we were waiting for the floor to season and dry out and all that sort of thing. I ended up, I did sleep upstairs because it didn't make any sense to sleep anywhere else. And I accessed it by climbing up a ladder into the second floor window. And uh, I, I thought as I did it, you know, I'm guessing that Amanda wouldn't want to do it this way. So. <laughs> it sounds dangerous, too. I'm glad I didn't know at the time it was what was going on. But I'll tell you honestly, love, what I hate to leave is not so much those things that we did five years ago. It's the heart of pine floors that are in the front of the first floor because those came out of Mama's house in Montgomery. That's your grandmother. Uh, my mom's mom. Right, and that house was built around 1900, so it was pretty pricey. I mean, priceless. Priceless. It, it really was. Just beautiful floors, and um, I felt... Uh, and I installed those. Um, my good friend Wayne Gill and I got down on our hands and knees and installed those floors ourselves. I hate to leave those. Uh, that's going to hurt. But the other things you're describing, eh, you know, they're tools. They were fun. We enjoyed them. I think they'll make the house worth a little more when we sell it, but I, I don't feel any pain about leaving them behind. I guess I'm in the same boat, and I hate to leave those floors from your grandmother's house. We have actually looked into what it would mean to take those up, and it would pretty much destroy the floors. So it just wouldn't make any sense to do that. The next question was from Michelle. She wanted to know if you were going to do the treasure hunt this year for Christmas Eve, which you didn't do. <laughs> right. The traditional treasure hunt was uh, that Lee always hides clues all over the house with a cleverly worded rhyming verse. <laughs> and Spending entirely too much time <laughs> getting it ready. And um, then we would always, um, he would videotape as... Joe and Adrian, and then later Michelle, when she and Joe got married, um, would run around the house with me as I located the clues and tried to solve them. And if I probably couldn't have solved many of them without the help of Joe and Michelle and Adrian, uh, and especially Joe and Adrian, who had lived, grown up in the house. Um, and then usually at the very end of the treasure hunt was some fun gift waiting for me. Um, but this year, it just didn't make any sense because we had Christmas at our lake house, so it's very different. And there's less knowledge about what, where things happened and that sort of thing, and that's the whole idea of the treasure hunt is you, you've got inside information about who did what, where, when, and all that, and that just you, you can't leverage that when you're in a new space. Right, but it was fun while we did it. We still have videos, and hopefully you still have all those clues. They were funny. I saved a lot of them myself. I probably could dig them up, but they wouldn't be interesting to anybody else. <laughs> My next question is, I'm going to say the same question I asked uh, last time, and that's when Joe was here as well. And this is for Adrian. As your parents are going on this adventure, how does it make you feel and I just read here that Joe had said you know it's kind of frustrating to live all the way in California and being unable to help um, can you elaborate more on that I'm proud of them I'm excited I don't know a lot of people whose parents just start a whole new life you know when their kids are grown and gone and starting their own families um, 
So yeah, I mean, I think it's really exciting and really cool that they're preparing so much for the future. And then my next is a two-part question. It's about the deer fence, the goal line, or the, uh, the outline the for that, fence. and then just having been at the farm recently, the erosion project on the side where you have are trying to keep all that. How's that working, and are you satisfied with what's going on there? Well, I'm not satisfied with the fact that we have put off both of those projects. We got caught up with moving, you know, pure and simple, and the holidays, and both holidays, Thanksgiving and then Christmas. Um, and so they had those projects took a back seat. The um, what I'm what I am happy about is the fact that our uh, erosion control phase one, I guess, the, the first hillside that we worked on, um, that really did work well. So when we do find the time, and I think sometime in January or February at the latest, we'll um, get back on track to work on the deer fence and then the erosion control, I'm sure in that order. Uh, and you could probably speak to this, Kenny, you actually saw a deer out there in the garden <laughs> yesterday. So uh, we do need to, to deal with that. But I think when we do, we'll just, as far as the erosion control, we'll do exactly the same thing we did um, the last time. And I will say the the erosion control, uh, Amanda talks about how we haven't uh, done what we need to do, but fact is the the little strip that's north of the barn mm -hmm. is holding real well. Yeah, it looks so. Nice. So um, I, I feel good about that, okay. and that I'm with her on the deer fence. You just you gotta focus on the the needs as they are, mm -hmm. and right now moving in is the 300 pound gorilla, and we've had to sort of drop everything and focus on getting towel racks up and you know getting shelves up so we can use the space and that sort of thing. So. And then with the moving in, um, the, the organ and all that, where do you plan on storing that? And do you feel you have enough storage space space where you are? Boy, that's a toughie. Um, it, we had this cute plan developed, and the idea was going to be that the organ and the piano would both be on pallets that I plan to build for them, and then we're going to put them up on the pallet rack inside the pole barn. Great idea. The problem is <clears throat> we've just had all of this moisture moving through, and what we've discovered is when you get something cold, if it's you know if it's the weather's been cold, and then the weather changes, and you've got this warm, moist air that flows through, and when that happens everything gets con condensation forming on it including a nice piece of furniture yeah and you just wouldn't be able to to do that the furniture wouldn't last long it'd be mildewed and trashy and just wouldn't work so now we've got to come up with another plan right now our best guess is that we will either find a place inside to store those things or we will rent a warehouse long enough to hold on to them in hopes that when we build the lodge they'll fit naturally there room. it's a good question and a tough question and, and and a recent disappointment you know we were sort of thinking that would work until very recently and now we realize uh-oh 
um, all that we were planning to do is not going to work. Mom calls you pessimistic, but you argue that you're actually optimistic. I do. What do you think? You know, Dad, I think everybody deserves to have their own opinion on everything. And you guys are my parents. So I completely can validate anything you guys say. Now, when you're not agreeing with each other, <clears throat> it's hard, but I get it. I know that Mom, you know, it's like the Green Acres thing. You know, it's like she wants to have her life the way that it is, and she's making a lot of changes to herself, and you're she making sure a lot is. of changes to what you would like to have your organic, you know, if Lee had his own organic farm, you'd have a compost toilet. You have a real toilet. It flushes. Yes, you can choose <laughs> whether it flushes one time or a whole or a half of a flush, but, you know, you would not have a flushing toilet if you had your way. So, That's true. So, you know, I... What do, you, what do you think about the optimism versus well, pessimism thing? the reason for the difference in perspective, as y'all know, and I'll say it for the benefit of those listening, um, I am fearful, not convinced, but fearful that the many choices we are making as a society are catching up with us. We're using too many resources. We're pumping too many pollutants into the air and the water and the soil and we are headed toward a, a collision with the wall the brick wall of biology where the earth is going to tell us in no uncertain terms that we have reached the limit so my assumption is that we are looking at some kind of collapse perhaps even decline mm -hmm. in the complexity of our civilization in the comforts we will be able to continue using and so forth so <clears throat> um, at the risk of saying more than you're interested in hearing mom is very much an environmentalist a classic tree hugger I'm less of an environmentalist and more interested in creating some things that will help us deal with crisis. But when we come together, and I should say that you're into resilience. And right, I would agree. I think that's important. But I think what got me interested in the whole sustainability movement was the fact that it is a way of respecting the earth. Yeah. And you're into resilience and I'm I'm an environmentalist it's just that I'm much more focused on the resilience part and you're much more focused on the environmentalism part yeah, I think I think that's fair yes and the, the the reason you call me a pessimist is because of my conclusion fearfulness whatever you want to call it that we are headed toward collapse or decline and I guess I keep hoping in my optimistic way that we humans will get the message um, and figure out what we need to be doing to adapt to the challenges that face us. So far, I have no reason to be optimistic, quite frankly. it's uh, I don't see a, a lot of evidence other than kind of a surface-level commitment to... So, so both of us are pessimistic then. <laughs> but you didn't let me finish. Um, I see a surface level commitment to greening, you know, let's take the green approach, let's invest in solar, but it's so 
offset by just the, uh, you know, it's not going to continue, I guess, the unsustainable practices out there. For example, you know, I visited Victory Land yesterday, not so I could bet on the dogs, I might mention, but just to see what was going on. Victory Land is a dog track very close to our farm. And casino. And it's in the true sense of the word, huge uh, hotel. They're trying to become some sort of a new Las Vegas, I guess. Um, And we we later thought, how much electricity do you think they use? What is their, how much are they um, impacting oil or whatever because of how much they've got going on with the casino? Mom and I were sitting in bed this morning while y'all were sleeping, thinking about this. I don't know how many slot machines they have at oh, Victory Land, but God. it must be thousands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're all, they're running 24-7. Yeah. Just even when nobody's playing them they're you know the changing the display and they've got bright colors and lots of noise and all that sort of thing and we're thinking man that's just the slot machines right not to mention the bright lights stadium type lights that you can actually see from our property which so is it's, up high you know you so can see it they must be using so much power there that's neither here nor there but, the, but but turns out I'm not much more pessimistic than mom. We're right, and they've got the huge hotel and like three different restaurants in that vicinity, in that yeah. building. Yeah, it's a big in those big buildings. operation. I don't know. Yeah. To to go on with that, to the you know, let's say you guys are right, and the world sort of becomes desperate like that. When uh, when we came to visit in October, and Adrian did a very great job of explaining the farm and everything, but in my mind, for some reason. I had this image of like barbed wire fence surrounding the property and like just, you know, <laughs> being protective. Now, if, if things kind of happen and, you know, mankind becomes desperate, what is your plan for protection? How do you protect yourselves? Well, I'm not, uh, I would never say never about the barbed wire fence or razor wire or whatever it takes uh, should we feel threatened. But um, I think maybe one of the answers is to engage the community, to really have the support of your community, um, there's power in numbers. And right now, we don't, we're new to that community. We don't have those kinds of connections yet. But where I've seen sustainable communities in action, uh, they tend to look out for each other. And we'll see. Uh, what do you think about that? I would agree. And the other thing I would add to the mix is that if things get that bad, where people are desperate and law and order breaks down, our assumption is that our children are going to be looking around for a place where they can be warm and dry and well-fed, and y'all may join us on the farm at that point. And when you join us on the farm, then there's more of that strength in numbers that Mom was talking about, and we have to assume that one way or the other, we'll find a way to work with others who have the same sort of challenge. And it could be that, should that occur, we're actually better off on that farm than we would be in suburbia. Because when law and order breaks down, to me, being in a house in the suburbs where you really can't as easily grow your own food or be self-sustaining, and where the house, most of the houses typically are not very energy efficient. So, and of course, if there's no electricity coming, uh, then creature comforts suffer. In other words, I think there's nothing we can do to forestall that if it's gonna happen, but maybe we've chosen 
the better way to deal with it? Maybe. Good question, though, Kenny. We don't know. Yeah. Well, and, and he kind of skipped over the one that led us into the other one before. Because um, you guys are, are very focused on what's going on on your farm and what's going on, what you want to happen with your family. But we talked about you guys not being as concerned about the world around you. Not the world around you, but the whole rest of the world, um, which I don't yeah, you want to take that? Well, one? I don't think we said we aren't concerned about that. In fact, what I remember saying to whoever asked that question was that um, I think we already have people who aren't safe in the world. We already have places where there's a breakdown of law and order. And I'd like to think that not a day goes by that I'm not aware or concerned about those people and in prayer for those people. Unfortunately, I'm a typical human, maybe worse than many, and I have my own selfish needs, and I don't take time to be as aware as I should be of those people's needs. I mean, there, there are already places that there's poverty, injustice, um, you know, exploitation, but I am concerned about them. It's just that it's sort of that bloom where you're planted mentality. This is where I am now. This is what I can do. And yes, in our, through our church, we can tithe. We can go on mission trips. We can do whatever we can. Vote, you know, when you vote in, the, in a um, free election, which we're so privileged to have in this country um, most of the time. <laughs> um, you you can exercise some control over it, but not nearly as much as I'd like. And I guess I would say that, to add a couple of more cliches to the mix, um, the starfish thing, you, you change what you can change, and you don't try to change things that you can't. And the other piece of it is that Mom and I view what we're doing at Longleaf Breeze, including these podcasts, as a, having a real teaching function. We, we're rank beginners at all of this, and um, we are displaying our ignorance for all the world to enjoy and laugh at and learn from. So I would say we are thinking globally and acting locally. So I'm not embarrassed uh, about the actions we're taking, and I... I would resist being characterized as being unconcerned for what's right. going on in the world. Yeah, I guess that's the point I was trying to make is we are concerned, but I like the way you put it, that whole what we're doing and the fact that we're sharing publicly our goofs as well as accomplishments, um, which unfortunately the accomplishments are you know, pale in comparison to the goofs. <laughs> but, hey, I'm not no, sure that's true. I know. But... Um, we hope that that does have a teaching function. And I have already told some of my former students, and I mean it sincerely, and if you're listening, I do mean it, um, as soon as we get things uh, a little bit more established and um, actually working the way they're supposed to on the farm, I plan to have groups of students, university students, come to see what we're doing. Because if we can inspire even one of the energetic, bright young minds that I've had the privilege to have in a classroom over the past couple of years, to, to go into 
food raising, you know, agriculture, doing something um, to adopting a sustainable lifestyle and using their influence, then if, if even one of those um, students does that, then I will feel successful with our venture. Cool. Probably a couple more minutes, maybe. Okay, well, one of Michelle's questions was, you know, our generation, uh, we love to travel and go out to eat, and we love art, and, and we love too many things that can't be bought for $8,000 a year. $8,000 a year is the figure that I've thrown out to all of you saying, uh, happiness is figuring out how you can live on $8,000 a year and be happy. So that's mm -hmm. where that came from. And that, you know, we're too invested in city life and, and we're not sure we would ever be able to to cram our lives down so small that they're that simple. But you guys had said that when you were a young couple, you were kind of in the same boat. That's true. We, we started reflecting on the fact that if you had asked us even f as recently as five years ago, would we want to leave the city, the suburbs, the conveniences, um, to move out into the boonies, <laughs> um, to try to raise our own food, we would have probably said, are you crazy? No, we wouldn't want that. Um, I have always had a secret yearning to live in the country. I always thought every time we'd go to the Christmas tree farm to uh, cut down our trees there, I, I don't know how secret it was. I probably said to you, oh, man, I wish we lived in the country. But then when I got back to my conveniences of driving five minutes to get to Whole Foods and 15 minutes to the Galleria and 10 minutes to the Summit, which is a really nice shopping area, five minutes to church, I thought better of it and said, ah, we're not ready for that yet. But um, when we were your age, when we were young, we really did have visions of traveling. And I've had the chance to have some great international trips. So even if I never get to do it again, it's I have the benefit of those experiences, and I don't blame you guys for wanting that and, you know, for your generation for wanting to do that. And if Dad's right about his pessimistic outlook, you won't be able to do those things in 10 years anyway. So it's, it's not as if you're choosing an either-or. It's just choosing whether you want to go ahead and begin preparing now for this more austere, simplified life that I'm describing. And I, I want to add, too, that when you talked about city life, wanting to live in a city, there are um, all kinds of approaches to sustainable city life. Urban planning, um, I'm not an expert on that, but you might have a, some, something to add to that. But um, the urban gardens movement, you know, where there's a locally grown food that can be done that way. Um, some of the more um, sustainable types of housing for living in a city. There's nothing that's mutually exclusive about city life and sustainable living. Maybe one last question. Okay, this is another question that Michelle asked. Um, are you worried or concerned that living in such a small apartment, um, living so close together, and what have you done <laughs> to prevent the problem with feeling that you're living on top of each other? Well, we do have 88 acres, so when one of us feels the need to stretch his or her legs and get away from the other one, we have that. Um, we also have uh, a separate, two separate areas from the apartment. One is storage, and another is the shop where you do your um, 
you know, tool work, that kind of thing. He's sort of like Ted the Tool Man. Is it? No, Tim, Tim the Tool <laughs> Man. Tim the Tool Man. Um, but uh, also his office is out there. And I know that sometimes you probably do secret yourself from me and go out there to work on that. Um, so we do have ways of getting away from each other. And we have car, two cars and a pickup truck and a Vespa. So we can ride into town if we need to. Or I can go see my mom in Montgomery. There are all kinds of ways that we can address that. My guess is it's more of an issue for mom than it is for me. I'm more tolerant of being close to mom for long periods of time than she is tolerant to being close to me for long periods of time. So um, y'all ought to keep asking her that question. Um, is he driving you crazy? Because uh, that, uh, that's really the dynamic we need to be afraid of. I'm, I'm cool with it, but I think the risk is we're going to run you out the back door screaming. Well, so far we're fine, and you might ask me that again in a year. Do you want me to just touch on the topics that we didn't get to? If you want to do so briefly, sure. Okay. Um, well, and we can maybe grab one of them if we say, hey, we need to talk about that. We talked about, um, Mom, are you insane? Um, the one and the answer is no, of course stop, not. <laughs> the one thing that can stop Dad from this insanity is you, and uh, have you lost it? Your son wanted to know. Yeah. Um, and you have the gift of hospitality. Um, how will you make that work when you're living in the country without with a dirt driveway? Have you abandoned the whole idea of Southern hospitality? That's probably worth talking about. Well, and maybe you ought to let this be the end. Okay. We have plans, again, dependent on the economy and, and selling our house in Birmingham, et cetera, to build another structure on the uh, on the what we are calling a house site it's where we had originally planned to put our house that would serve as a lodge for our guests to come and have a place to stay and once that if we are able and so fortunate as to do that once that's complete we will not just have a dirt driveway it will be probably uh first of all number four stone and then uh, eventually we'll pave it um after the construction process is complete and i think if i can do that it will fulfill my southern hospitality desires i think that will will be the the way to do it and to be honest with you if we can't do that i can't i don't know the answer i may be frustrated because i do for whatever reason um, have the spiritual gift of hospitality, at least according to the spiritual gifts workshop at our church that i took and and it does resonate with me i mean it feels that feels right to me that i should be able to entertain people, welcome them into my home, uh, make them feel comfortable and at ease. And if you don't have enough space for that, um, you know, inter you know, interior space, then that can be a little tricky. Yeah, I, I will second that. You'll figure out a way to be hospitable to people, even if it means your husband's going to have to go sleep in the car over on the west side of the property. You'll entertain people. You will welcome them into your home. I, I agree. We'll we'll find a way. Well, that's been a good conversation. Thank you, Adrian and Kenny, for being willing to share with us. And it's so great having you both here. I wish you could just stay forever. <laughs> we do, too. We're going to try to make it back here. Yeah, and our apologies to Joe and Michelle and Grandma for uh, the technical problems that made us unable to include their questions firsthand. But uh, it's good to have a chance to talk this over anyway. That's right. Hopefully we'll be able to do another one of these podcasts sometime when we have everyone together again so that you can hear their delightful voices as well. 
So thank you all for listening and Happy New Year. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. To browse our archive, to learn more about the farm and about Lee and Amanda, and to talk with other listeners, visit us at longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.